making our way through the book of Acts. And we're in chapter 12 tonight. I'm going to just ask the Lord to bless chapter 12. Then we're going to see it. And then we're going to just pull it apart and enjoy it together. Father, tonight I just thank you, Lord God, for your, your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we approach the word tonight, we would do it with humble hearts and that we would approach your word, Lord, as students, Father, ready to learn, ready to let the Holy Spirit just bring us into truth and open up the word to us. Holy Spirit, that's what we ask tonight, that we would see what's beneath the cover. We would see the hidden things, Lord, because we're your children, we're your disciples. So open the word up to us tonight and let it affect us and let it stretch us and challenge us so that we don't leave here the way we came, Lord, but that we leave changed by your word. We ask that in Jesus' name and the church said... Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 25. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guard and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, 
Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. <laughs> when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, she said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Can you rewind it? Phil wants to see the worms. Quite a segue. So once again, I want you to notice something here. We're seeing on the heels of a revival, God's doing amazing things. Remember, this kind of a shift of gears, and we see this a lot. God's doing great stuff. The Gentiles are getting saved. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. There's revival, and there's unprecedented moves of God happening. Why? Because the Gentiles have never been saved before. They've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. So this is revival. This is a move of the Holy Spirit upon the church. God is adding to the church. He's filling the church with everyone who will believe in Jesus Christ. So I want you to see there's revival. And then what happens on the heels of revival? Instantly persecution comes. And I want you to notice that over and over again. Why? Because it, it helps us to understand how to do spiritual warfare. You know, as Christians, we're in a fight. 
Hello? You didn't sign up and get on the good ship lollipop. You're a soldier in the army of God. And you have an enemy, and he's not playing. Hello, Wednesday night. He's trying to take you out. He's trying to destroy your faith. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to deceive you. So it's a real battle. It's a real fight. And we see that. The church advances the gospel, pushes back darkness. There's revival, and instantly persecution comes. We need to learn to expect when we take steps forward in God, when we have revival, when, when God moves us to new levels, that you say, new levels, new devils. When when growth comes, the enemy wants to check that growth. He wants to stop that growth. He wants to steal the increase. So we've got to learn to expect our enemy to counterattack when God's kingdom moves forward. Okay, we need to not be surprised by it. It's amazing how even though we get mature and we know this stuff is coming, we, we kind of just bask in what God's doing and we forget to watch that for our enemy because he's coming. In fact, you look confused as I'm saying this. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you prospering? Are you moving forward in your faith? Are you getting into deep water? The enemy's coming to test that. And so we see the revival, we see the growth, and we see the counterattack. And as mature believers, we need to see that pattern and understand it. And instead of being surprised by it, we should be ready for it. When the kingdom of God pushes, the kingdom of darkness pushes back. It's just the way it goes. Now, we're told to resist the enemy and what? He'll flee from us. Resist the enemy and he will flee. But I, I got I to gotta, I gotta qualify this. We've got to resist and he's got to flee, but he doesn't usually flee without a fight. This is where we lose it because we're not willing to fight. When there is a fight, we think we must have missed God. We don't want to roll up our sleeves and fight. We don't want to get in a secret place in prayer. We don't want to fast. We don't want to, we don't want to battle and push back the darkness. We want to just walk into it and take it. But even in the promised land, God said, you can have the land, but you got to fight to take it. Amen. The Jews said, this is our land. Yeah, but there are already people on it and they didn't want to leave. And God said, take your swords, take your soldiers, take your people, take your faith, and go purge the land of those people who don't belong in it. And some of them didn't want to do it. And it's the same in the body of Christ. We've got spiritual pacifists in the body that don't want to fight for an inch of ground. And guess what? The enemy will accommodate that. He won't give you an inch of ground. He'll fight you every bit of the way. So understand, there's spiritual warfare taking place here, and I want you to see that. The enemy uh, is not liking that the kingdom is advancing. He is certainly not liking that the Gentiles are getting saved. He's had them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Now they're getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Not happy. He gets pushed. He pushed back. So we face uh, backlashes in our Christian growth. And the face of this backlash is the face of Herod. Herod is the one who uh, is the, you know, the face of the uh, persecution here. Now, if you look at Herod, uh, the whole lineage of Herod's and that, that whole line of leadership there, you're going to see that, you know, this was Herod Agrippa the first, and, and he is like all those who go before him, a demonic guy who hates truth and he hates godliness and he hates righteousness. Now, he, he wants to push back the dark. He wants to push back the light with the dark. Why? Because he's threatened. And I want you to see that. You know, spiritual power brokers get threatened by a real move of God. Religious 
Imposters get threatened by a real move of God. Fake teachers get threatened by a real move of God. And so there's a real move of God happen, and the face of the persecution and the backlash is Herod Agrippa I, and he does not like the things of God. He never has. He's always been an opposer of the things of the kingdom. In verse 2, he grabs up the believers, and he begins to mistreat them. Look what it says. It said, Herod, the king, laid his hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. So he wants to make them feel some pain. In verse 2, it says, he took James, the brother of John, and put him to death by the sword. Now, let's just stop there for a second. James, a believer, he's not just, you know, James is not just anybody here. Herod grabs up James, the brother of John. Now, who was he? He was one of the sons of thunder. He was one of those that hang, hung with Jesus, one of the disciples, amen? So think about it. One of Jesus' close disciples, close followers, one that he called one of the sons of thunder. You know, he was the guy that was there. He was one of the three who was there at Jesus's transfiguration. Do you remember that? When he took Peter, James, and John, and he transfigured, and he showed his glory to them, and they saw Moses, and they saw all this stuff. He was one of the inner circle of Jesus. Just because we are close to him, just because we are faithful to him, doesn't mean we're, at, we're not ever going to taste persecution. Just because we follow him with all our hearts doesn't mean that there's never going to be some real big trials and real big mountains and real big giants that we have to face. You know, somehow, somewhere our theology gets messed up that we think, well, the more holy we get and the more obedient we get, the less trouble we have. Come on, Wednesday night. And the truth is, it's just the opposite. The closer we are to him, the more threat we are to the kingdom of darkness and the more hot the attack gets on our personal lives. <laughs> now, some people respond to that by saying, well, then I'm not going to be a threat at all to the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to embrace lukewarm living. I'm going to be a lukewarm Christian. I'm going to stay below the radar and hope the devil bothers somebody else. That's not the way we're called to live. So, you know, here... The enemy of the gospel, an antichrist spirit, he grabs up and mistreats the brethren. He takes James, one of the sons of thunders, one of the men who was there with Jesus, and he puts him to death by the sword. And you notice the, the presentation there. The people were all excited about it as if it was a great thing. And so uh, a, a sad moment there. As I think about this, it grieves my heart to see one of God's close servants there mistreated that way and put to death and there again we talked about those who are martyred for christ are the souls under the altar and uh, in the book of revelation god will avenge the blood of his saints precious in the sight is the death of god's saints he takes it seriously we should take it seriously and it should speak to us verses three and five herod goes after peter at this point he mistreats some of the believers he kills uh james here and then he goes right after peter and understand peter was the visible head of the church for all intents and purposes uh he goes after the head of the early church now herod is shrewd and he knows a few things about uh having dominion over people he knows a few things about leadership and and structure and he knows if he crushes the head, he will scatter the people, and he'll kill the movement. You're quiet. This is just the way things work in life. If you study history, if you study warfare, if you study how, you know, uh, people groups uh, and kings and all of these things, uh, you have to strike the head, scatter the flock, and then you can kill the movement. 
So he goes right after the head and he snatches up Peter here. And make no mistake, Herod's motives are spiritually rotten. He's a figurehead. He absolutely wants to kill the move of God because he sees it as an imminent threat to his own power. He has the heart of a tyrant. And that heart is something that we see in the earth in operation today. There are people who they don't care about right and wrong. They don't care about justice or injustice. They don't care anything about maintaining their grip of power over people. You can use your imagination on who those type of people are, but that spirit is still at work in the earth today. We need to be able to understand it and realize that sometimes you can't negotiate with it. You have to beat it on your knees in prayer. Uh, notice what he, he grabs him up. He, he, he takes him into custody and, and he has plans for him. He wants to do some things to him, but notice what the people's reaction is. So it says here in verse three, he went and sought please the Jews. So that's what I want you to pick up on there. He was playing off of the response of the people. Many times people who, you know, are tyrannical or they want control, they are really concerned about their public opinion polls. Herod messed with some of the believers. That went over good. Everybody seemed to like it. He kills James. Oh, the crowd was cheering. Now he grabs up Peter. What's the response? Understand, leaders who go by public opinion or by mob rule that don't have integrity, that's not the kind of leadership we should ever have in the church. But yet we see some, some of that type of leadership in the church where people, oh, you know, the pastor preaches on something out of the word and nobody likes it. He gets a lot of hate mail in his email mailbox. Don't preach on that topic anymore. Don't talk about that. I, I've had uh, friends who went through Bible college with me who got in positions of leadership at churches and they preached on some biblical topics that the church board did not like. In fact, they told one of my friends who was a youth pastor who was preaching about fornication because the youth group was full of it, stop preaching on that subject. <laughs> and he wouldn't, so they fired him. You see, this whole control and manipulation and integrity and leadership, all of these principles, they apply to us and we need to understand them. Herod is shrewd. He has no integrity. He plays off of the people's, you know, feedback and how they like it. He said he saw that it pleased the Jews, so he went for it. His motive is exposed here. He always wanted to just elevate himself in the eyes of the people so he could maintain his influence over them. And he saw the church as a threat to him. His control. Now in verse 4, Peter is taken, and I want you to see how they take him up here because it speaks to us in the heart of uh, what Herod is doing here. When they seized him, they put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So they'd send four squads of soldiers to pick up one fisherman preacher who's not a warrior, who's not a soldier. In fact, if they knew what his swordsmanship record was, all he got in a couple swings was a piece of an ear that Jesus healed. Peter's not a threat. Yet they send a whole bunch of soldiers to snatch him. Why? Because it's a show of force to intimidate. And I want you to see that. See, this is what's behind the covers here. This is what's between the lines. This is what you've got to pick up as a mature believer. Understand the fingerprints of the enemy. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to saber rattle and intimidate you. Why? So you'll shrink back. 
And that's exactly what you're seeing here is they want them to know, oh, we're strong-handed, we're heavy-handed, we're coming with swords and clubs and intimidation and warrants and all that. We're going to snatch you up, we're going to carry you away, and you can't do anything about it. Wow. That same spirit, that same antichrist spirit, that same demonic spirit that's in the earth today wants to intimidate the church wants to intimidate believers, wants to intimidate you and I, and does it very successfully many times that we shut up and we're silent. When the preacher's preaching real good, we're not making any noise. (laughs) Not even in church. I mean, in church, we can say, "Amen." amen. But how about in the world? Are we bold? We need to be bold. We need to let that light shine. The enemy wants to intimidate us. Don't let him do it. You got the goods. You got the real deal. You've got Jesus in your heart. So four squads show up. They snatch up the fishermen, and, you know, they take them away in a big show of power. Verse 5, Peter's locked up for Passover. Way to spend a holiday, isn't it? Isn't the enemy terrible? He knows how to wreck your holiday, right? Oh, we were going to have Passover. We are going to have lamb. It was going to be good. Now I got your attention, right? And he's locked up, and they're going to leave him in there, and they're going to, you know, kind of have their way with him after everybody has their feast and their fun, you know, and they're in the right mood. They're going to bring him out, and they're going to see what they can get away with here. So the church knows that this is going on. Obviously, Peter's been snatched up. James has been killed. So they go into deep prayer for him, and they, they, they schedule a prayer meeting. So Peter was kept in prison, but the prayers for him were being made fervently by the church of God. So our response to persecution should not to retain counsel, not to, you know, uh, form a petition, not to post a really good monologue on Facebook. Our response should be to pray. And you know what? The enemy loves when we do all that other stuff. We whine, we complain, we share, we gossip, we post. But we didn't pray. The church shows the right response here. Hey, maybe you do some of that stuff. Maybe you share. Maybe you get encouragement. But first, we've got to get on our knees and pray when there's persecution, when there's a backlash, when we're moving forward in God and the enemy says, oh, no, you don't, and he counterattacks. We've got to get on our knees and pray to stop the counterattack, amen? And that's exactly what they do, and it's a lesson to show us. Uh, Prayer is not our last resort. It's our primary weapon, Amen? And the time to learn to pray is not when the bullets are flying. The time to learn to pray is in the prayer closet, in the secret place, as we're developing and becoming mature in the Lord. Did you ever find yourself in a crisis that you were not spiritually mature enough to handle? Did you ever find yourself in a, in a prayer need situation that you hadn't even developed enough faith to really pray at that level? Come on, if we're honest, all of us at times in our lives, you know, we can pray who's got the sniffles, who's got, who stubbed their toe, who got into a fender bender, but big stuff, the doctor's report's not good, the, the legal report is not good, the, the pink slips in the mail, the finances are not, and I'm big stuff. We've got to learn to develop our prayer. We've got to learn to develop our spiritual maturity, uh, n- not in the midst of crisis, 
but through perpetually taking those little steps and developing you know, our spiritual muscles so that when the fight gets real and it gets hot and it gets heavy, we've got some maturity, we've got some muscle memory on how to do warfare in a spiritual way. So I'll leave that out there and, and develop, you know, develop it now. If you're in a relative state of calm and peace and things are going good, keep praying because that can change in a moment. So Peter's locked up. The church is praying. Uh, To unbelievers, prayer seems like a waste of time. It seems like foolishness. But when God shows up and answers from heaven, boy, it sure seems to make sense to us, doesn't it? Verse 6 and 7 show the clash between man, man's kingdom, man's efforts, and God's kingdom here. And I, I see a real clash here, and I want you to see it too. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Well, before we get to there, actually, you, you know, God many times allows us to get into situations that really test our faith. Because he needs to prove to us that he has dominion over everything. And he's about to prove, you know, Herod does his thing. He locks Peter up. He puts him in prison. And, you know, all the, all the, way, they, you know, all the way they lock him up here. Again, four squads of soldiers to take one fisherman. Now Herod plans to, you know, do what he wants to do with him. And Peter here in, in verses 6 and 7, he's just in the middle of these people who snatched up. And he's asleep. That's a good sign, actually. You know, if you can sleep in the midst of the storm, that's a lot more like Jesus than it was like the disciples, isn't it? You know, most of us, oh, we're up worrying, we're up to, you know, I I like the fact that, you know, I don't know what kind of guy Peter was, you know, maybe one of those guys that could sleep anywheres, but he's asleep here. So he's asleep, he's between two soldiers, he's bound with two chains, and he's guarded by a full complement of guards. What I want you to see there is that's man's best effort. That was man rolling the big stone in front of Jesus' tomb and sealing it up and putting the guards there. This is, oh, nobody's getting in here. This is a supermax cell. Man's best effort. And, you know, they lock him up real good, just a fisherman, you know, a whole bunch of guards, a whole bunch of soldiers, a whole bunch of swords, two soldiers, two chains, a full complement of guards. Now, in verse 7, God's response is that he sends an angel. How many fingers am I holding up? One. That's good. One angel. Not an archangel. Not Michael. The warrior angel, just an angel, just a run-of-the-mill pedestrian angel to do God's light work. Come on, I want you to get this. You know, we, we could go right through this and miss it. Man does his very best, all the swords, all his chains, all the guards, everything. God says, I send an angel, do my light work. So you got to get this here. We think, oh, God, how are you going to, boy, how are you going to handle this one, God? You better call a meeting of the Trinity. You better, uh, this is going to be hard. We make like it's so hard for God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the stars in the sky and knows them by name, who put the planets in geosynchronous orbit, who put the sun in the right proximity to the earth so he wouldn't burn up. God who created all that. And we got a little problem. We, we see some prison cells. We see some chains. We see some people who don't have good intentions towards us. What are you going to do, God? I'll just send an angel. Give me the skinniest angel we got. 
oh, here comes the angel. Looks like Don Knotts. He's got one bullet in his gun. Andy, you know. Young people, Google it. God sends one angel to do his light work against man's best effort here. And this is the clash between kingdoms here. We see man trying to impose his will and God just, you know, doing his thing. And if it's not going to stand, if God says it's not going to stand, it's not going to stand. Verses 7 through 10 describe what can only be described as a divine jailbreak. Amen. This is really cool. The angel shows up. He lights the cell. And there again, Peter's sleeping. And he lights up the cell. Peter still doesn't wake up. He had to poke him. You see that? He poked Peter. You were Peter, weren't you? <laughs> so he poked him to wake him up. And everybody else is still asleep. Obviously, the Lord put a deep sleep on them, whatever. You know, Peter didn't just turn into a ninja and creep out. He, he put everybody uh, in the sleep so that he could do what he's doing here. But it's a divine jailbreak. He goes in. He wakes Peter up. He pokes him. He shakes him. He's sleeping well in this situation. Sounds like the peace of God to me. And he's told to move quickly. Now, you know, God could have just translated him out of there. He could have just put him, you know, outside. He didn't have to do all this. But he he tells him to move quickly and his chains fall off from him. See, now that's what I want you to see. Even when God is doing the work, there's always a part for us to do. Don't expect to do, I mean, God gets all the glory, but you and I should not expect to do nothing. If the angel said, get up, and Peter said, no, the angel would say, see ya. Enjoy your, enjoy your stay. Right? There was a part for him to do. It wasn't a big part, but it was a part to do. He, he tells him to get up, move quickly, and the chains fall off him. Sometimes we have got to move so we can get free from our bondage. Amen? We got to move. Oh, don't just stand there. Don't just sit there. Don't just complain. Move. Do something. What? You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Some spiritual movement. Pray. Sing hymns. Sing songs. Praise God. Thank God for his grace in your life. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's just worship. We stand there like deaf, dumb, mute statues. You know what I found out in life? Sometimes I'm waiting on God and he's waiting for me. He's like, come on, Pastor Rick, you're my man here. You got any faith? What you got? There's some things, and I got to be honest with you, you're, you're just looking at me like you're way holier, but I'll just continue to be transparent. <laughs> There's times where I found out God was waiting on me for years to do things. And I was actually getting mad at him. What are you doing? And he's like, I'm waiting for you. What do you mean that's right? <laughs> Take care of your wife over there, right? He's so hard on me, Don. But, you know, and I found out. And then, you know, then you find out that he was waiting on you. And, boy, you feel silly. Yeah. He was like, oh, I thought it was you, God. He goes, yeah, I know. It, it's not him. It's us. I find out just creating a little bit of movement sometimes in the spiritual realm. It, it provokes God to just, you know, do something that we've been waiting for. He's waiting on us to exercise our faith. Get up, 
I gets up, the chains fall off. That's a good sign. Then the angel proceeds to, to walk him through the prison. And he, he, he proceeds, you know, he goes past this guard and he goes past that guard. Why? Because it all started with a step. It all started with some movement. And, you know, there are times where we have to move quickly. That's why he didn't just move. It said move quickly. You know, why did he have to move quickly? Because, you know, God can only keep him asleep for 15 seconds. Is it in the angel rule book? I don't know. But he told him to move quickly and he does and he gets up and before he knows it he's outside on the street uh peter's told to get dressed all this stuff happens in verses eight and nine and you know good thing that peter just responded and did what he was told to do because most of us are way too cerebral when god starts speaking and we want to think about it we want to pray about it we want to ask so and so what they think about it Peter, just listen. Sometimes reflexive obedience is the thing that'll save us. When God says, move, move. When he says, move quickly, move quickly. When nothing's going on, create some spiritual motion. Before, you know, many times our thinking and our wanting to understand everything becomes a stumbling block to us. You know, our intellect can become a stumbling block to us. Not that as Christians we should turn our brains off, but sometimes when God says something, we don't need to understand everything about it and how it's going to work out. And, and what about A, B, and C? We just need to do what we're told to do. You know, there again, at times in my life where God told me to do A, and I was like, well, what's going to happen with B and C? And, and you know what he said to me? Nothing until I did A. Oh, okay. Then the next step, a step at a time. You know what most of us, especially including me, can only handle a step at a time. If God gave me like the whole instructions, I'd mess it up. You ever put something together with those instructions that they give you? Ikea, some, some kind of demonic thing like that that you got to put together where someone wrote the instructions because they don't like humanity? And you got to do what? You got to follow one step at a time and look at the picture and orient it and decipher it and pray and use the urim and the thummim like they did in the Old Testament. And so it's one step at a time. So whatever God's told you to do, if you haven't done it, do it. And he'll tell you the next step. Get up, move quickly. He does. He listens to the angel. He puts his coke on. He gets past his own thinking. He just is obedient. Now, uh, verses 10 through 11, God takes Peter out of his chains, past the guards, past the prison doors, and turns him loose on the street. Now, I want you to see, you know, there's, there's a lot of pictures in here, but there again, this is like a picture of salvation. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. You know, what God has done for us as individuals is no less miraculous than what he's just done for Peter here. We were bound up in chains. We were guarded by devils and demons that had us in addiction and had us in all kinds of things. Come on, I wish there was someone who was saved here that had faith that would actually make noise. But, you know, we were in all this bondage. And God just said, get up. And, and what, what the invitation was, come to Jesus. And we did, and the chains fell off, and the prison doors opened, and we're free. And, and Peter is in this situation here where God has just freed him. And, you know, he thinks he's dreaming. He thinks it's a vision. And, you know, 
that's okay. But verse 11, when he's out on the street and he gets hit with the cold air and he realizes, you know, he's awake and he's not dreaming, he begins to rejoice. He realizes this is a real situation. The angel of God rescued him from uh, the situation. And he, his response is this, you know, the angel rescued me. I don't know who that little guy on the street was that Peter grabbed up there and started shaking and telling him all that stuff. I thought it might've been you. Was that you? Yeah. <laughs> But that guy, you know, was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he tells him, you know, God rescued me from Herod and from all the intentions of the Jewish people that he realizes, hey, this wasn't just a dream. This was real. I'm free. I'm out of that place. And so it's a great moment here for Peter. And it's something that we need to realize. We sang it tonight. Our God is fighting for us. Our God is fighting for us all the time, amen? And he is breaking chains, and he is opening prison doors, and he's inviting us to move, to exercise our faith. And he's waiting on us a lot of times to create some spiritual movement here to show our faith. So verse 12, it actually gets more interesting. Peter crashes his own prayer meeting party. And they're at Mary's house, the mother of John. Uh, now, you know, a lot of times we read through this, but you notice that it was Mary, the mother of John. Now, understand, James and John were brothers, so this was the woman who had just lost a son. So that house of prayer was also a house of mourning at that time. And I want you to see something. You know, many of us would read past that, and many times I think I have too, and not just realize, you know, what's going on in that house there? But they're praying for Peter, and, you know, he shows up at the door. And, you know, in verse 2, we found out that John was killed with the sword. So his mother, I mean, James was killed with the sword, and John was his brother, and now we're in his mother's house. So here's a woman who's mourning for the death of her son at the hands of Herod. Now, this helps us to understand why they felt so scared they had just had one of them murdered this helps us to understand why they don't really believe it's peter at the door because they're scared and they're desperate and they're not very hopeful why should peter's situation turn out any different than james's are you getting this I want you to get this. Why? Because a lot of us go, get our lumps in life and we go through situations where we prayed and it didn't turn out the way we prayed. You know, many of you have been praying for Kevin who had cancer and, and this week he went home to be with the Lord. And we prayed that God would heal that cancer, but God didn't heal that cancer the way we prayed. Hello, church. I held his hand as he took his last breath and encouraged him to go with Jesus. And let me tell you, that wasn't what we prayed for. But it's the way God answered that prayer. The greatest healing is for us to take off this earthly body of sin and to go into the arms of Jesus. But when our prayers don't get answered the way we want them answered, many times the next time we're in a situation, we're fearful. Well, James just got ran through with a sword. So, you know, before we're too hard on them, they're up there thinking, is Peter dead too? But Peter's not. God had a different plan for Peter. Peter's not dead. He's out of jail and he's knocking at the door. And, you know, you might think, why are these guys so hard-headed? They don't even, you know, in a minute here, we're going to talk about the fact that they don't even believe it's him at the door. 
And the reason is, is because they've been through some trauma here and their faith is a little bit stretched. But God is trying to give them uh, new levels of faith to realize they can trust him. Even when things don't go their way, they can still pray with faith and, and trust on the goodness of God. So he shows up at the door and, you know, we, we don't really understand what's all going on inside except that they're fervently praying. Uh, Peter's appearance makes quite a stir. In fact, Rhoda, the servant girl, she answers the door and when she hears his voice, she loses her mind because she doesn't open the door. She runs away. Have you ever had moments like that? Anyone ever lose their mind? Anyone looking for it at the moment? Yeah, she, you know, it's Peter. It's Peter. Oh, oh, that's Peter's voice. It is Peter. Oh, it's Peter. Let Peter in. She doesn't let Peter in. She, she runs upstairs. She's excited. She runs away. She goes upstairs. She tells everybody, and Peter's at the door. And you know what their response is? They confirm to her that she lost her mind. They don't believe her. Now think about that for just a second here with me. We're praying for the answer to our prayer. And the answer to the prayer is knocking at the door and we don't believe it. Faith is an interesting thing, isn't it? We all need more of it. Sometimes, you know, I prayed that prayer a lot of times and it never, it never knocked on my door. This time it is. Sometimes God answers immediately. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it doesn't go the way. But we still have to pray in faith, believing what we're praying for, that God is hearing that prayer, amen? We've got to have faith. And there again, you know, we're, I'm not being hard on them because they're, they're, they've gone through trauma. They've lost one of their own. They're in persecution. One of them has been murdered. Peter's knocking on the door. Rhoda loses her mind. She tells him he's there. No, he's not there. And, and the, you know, they, they say, well, it's got to be his angel. Did you hear that? You know, sometimes it's easier to construct a, a wild theory than it is to just believe God answered the prayer. Think about that. Where did that come from? It's his angel. It's easier to believe that an angel is knocking on the door than it is that Peter is. Hmm. It's interesting the way people make up these wild theories about things, isn't it? Now, how would they know that it was an angel knocking at the door when they haven't checked who's at the door and nobody got up to check the door. They just can't. And I want you to see that. People come up with wild theories about things that have never examined the evidence. Hello. Oh, the Bible is this and the Bible is that. Have you ever read it? No, I haven't read it. You talk to people like that all the time, they drive me nuts. The Bible's full of contradictions. Well, I've been preaching out of it for 39 years, and uh, can you show me one? No, no, I don't know where they are. I just know that it contradicts itself. And <sighs> So they come up with this wild theory like, a lot of religious people do, and sometimes we do. But what I want you to see is it's better for us to examine the evidence before we come up with theories. Oh, Pastor Rick, going to two services will never work. Have you ever pastored a church and gone to two services before? No, but I know it won't work. Hmm. Faith. Some people have it, some people don't. Theories, everybody's got them, but untested theories are not worth much. It's better for us to examine the evidence and see what God says. Now, 
Peter gets louder, knocking on the door, and finally they answer it, and everybody's shocked. What? What? What are you doing here? We were just praying for you. God's answer to the prayer was knocking at the door. When the sun rises the next morning in verses 18 and 19, there is bedlam at the old prison house. You know, and I heard some of you gasp when you heard that those treacherous, heathenist guards who mistreated him were put to death. But that's what happens to treacherous, heathenist people who resist the move of God. The wages of sin is death. Well, Herod had them put to death, and it wouldn't be too long before God has him put to death. So everybody reaps what they sow. But realize, you know, we are so sensitized to the loss of life as New Testament Christians because we are covered in grace. That we would even, you know, we would gasp at the fact that heathen are receiving their just reward. Why? Because we, like Jesus, want everybody to be saved. And let me tell you something, that's the right heart. That's the right heart. So continue to, to gasp when we see people stumble into eternity without Christ. Because you know what? On this side of the cross, there's no reason for it. And we're the answer to somebody's prayer. So good response, the right response. Yet, you know, these people who are opposing the kingdom of God, uh, they do it at their own peril. Um, they, they're in big trouble there, those guards. You know, in some ways it wasn't their fault. Why? Because the, the, the angel and the spirit of God, uh, you know, uh, orchestrated this. It wasn't their dereliction of duty, yet they're held responsible. The guards are, you know, sentenced by Herod. They're executed. And, you know, it's just a, it's a tough situation. Verse 20 through 23, Herod is at odds with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And that little crowd of people there that we see assembled, uh, to him were there to kind of smooth things over with Herod because it happened that he used to be in charge of them and he would regulate their food and he would literally feed them. So we see this crowd of people gathered and in verse 21, we notice Herod gets all decked out in his royal garb. You know, people who like the accolades of men love to get all dressed up and puffed up, maybe have, you know, like award ceremonies for themselves or, you know, celebrate their achievements and Maybe there's like stuff on TV like that every once in a while. So they're having their little, you know, love fest here. Tyra and Sidon's representatives are there, and they are stroking Herod's ego. He gets all decked out in his royal garb. He sits on the judgment seat. That's the rostrum. So he's got his big throne there. He's outdoors. He's all dressed up. And these desperate people who just want to eat, they, you know, they're kind of caught up in all this pomp and circumstance. And Herod, you know, begins to speak, and the people play along with it, and they stroke his eagle, and people's yelling, this is the voice of God, not a man. What a thing to say. This guy is lower than vermin. And they're, they're puffing him up with these blasphemous things that they're saying, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Now, even though all of what was happening there uh, in verse 22, it was vain and it was really completely fake. I'm sure the people really didn't like him that much at all. Why? Because he was starving them. Because he was mad at them. Anybody like someone who cuts off your food, turns off your heat, turns off your electric? No, you don't like that person. So it was fake. It was vain. And Herod, instead of, you know, realizing it's fake and it's empty and stopping with his little charade here, he accepts their worship as if he's worthy of it 
and if he's as if he's entitled to it. And guess what? It was fake. It was vain. But God took it seriously because God won't share his glory with anybody. And when they said, oh, he's like a God, and he's like up there, yeah, that's me. And he's up there doing his thing. The angel of the Lord, again, I don't know if it was the same angel. Maybe God sent a stronger angel this time. Didn't send Don Knotts, but he sent the angel of the Lord, struck him dead. And he, he I, I don't know, you know, if he fell over and bust open or whatever, but they, they said he was full of worms eaten from the inside out. The wages of sin. You know, I want to say something about that since we're all grimacing. Sin will eat you from the inside out. And it'll leave you an empty shell and it'll eventually kill you. And realize this man with all his pomp and his circumstance and his, you know, his, his tyrannical heart and his demonic hatred of the things of God, he accepted worship as if he was God and God himself was not, in, you know, he was so upset at him, he strikes him dead right there. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, all of us overplay our hand. Herod overplayed his hand here. He falls down dead. Uh, he is, you know, he is judged by God. I'm not sure if the people understood, you know, exactly what had happened there. But the Lord tells us uh, in verse 24 here, after he's dead, uh, the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied, it says in verse 24. So I want you to see the pattern here. There's growth, then there's persecution, then what? There's growth again. See how the, the growth and the, the advancement of the kingdom of God bookends the persecution? That's what I want you to get. Persecution doesn't come to stay. It comes to pass. Hello. So uh, it says here, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. with They had been fill, fulfilling their mission, taking along with them John Mark, who is also called Mark. So what we're seeing here is the church growing, the missionary journeys beginning. Uh, Saul, who is going to be eventually Paul, is going on missionary journeys. They've got another person with them, John Mark. We're going to hear all about that and what it does. But what, what it's showing is that the last two verses show that even in the midst of that horrible persecution and some miraculous situations, that persecution never stops the things of God. And I want you to remember that. What you have inside you because you are a child of God is unstoppable. And the very fact that the enemy is opposing you just shows that there's growth in your life. So don't shrink back. Don't be scared. Be bold in the Lord. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for this chapter, for the word. Father, for all the things that you put in here and Holy Spirit, for all the things you revealed to us tonight. Help us, Lord, to understand there's a spirit of antichrist that's at work in the earth. And uh, we as the children of God and the light and the darkness are going to meet persecution. And Father, it's easy for us to see it as even in our own nation now, there's, there's persecution against the church and against those who adhere to the word of God. They're depicted by Hollywood and the media and, and, and through our godless culture as narrow-minded and unintelligent and backward. But Lord God, we know that, Father, though the spirit of Antichrist raise up against us, though persecution visit us from time to time, you will bookend our lives with growth and with victory because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we thank you for that. Let us be light in the darkness. 
the answer to somebody's prayer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise tonight. Amen.